When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network and on Patriots Press Pass. I'm Evan Lazar, and I'm joined, as always, by Alex Barth, who is fighting through a illness here for us today to co-host the podcast with me. But I'm glad that I have Alex back on the show with me today. We're excited to talk about J.C. Jackson and all the Patriots' latest. And, of course, this is a Q&A, so go ahead and drop all your questions in the chat, and we'll get to as many as we possibly can over the next hour or so. Before we get into football, I do want to quickly say that obviously a lot of people, myself included, Alex included, our thoughts and prayers are with the people of the Ukraine right now and what's going over, going on over in Europe. I'm not going to make this a political show. I don't know enough about the situation to give you a take, nor do I want to give you a take, but clearly we understand that that's where a lot of people's heads are at right now, but we're going to talk football uh, here today, continue to talk about football because that's what we do. But obviously thoughts and prayers with the Ukraine and the people of the Ukraine stay safe and all those sorts of things. Let's get into it, though, Alex. Uh, we didn't have you on the pod on Tuesday. We did discuss the J.C. Jackson situation a little bit. I can't remember if... Phil Perry's article came out before or after we taped on Tuesday, but Phil published a great interview with JC Jackson. JC, I think in some ways was playing his hand, right? His hand is to go to the media and be outspoken about the fact that the negotiations haven't opened yet with the Patriots. As he told NBC sports, Boston, he has not spoken to the Patriots since the end of the season about anything related to his contract or his current situation heading into free agency, not outside the norm. As I've said, many people said on Twitter when this article came out, the Patriots haven't contacted anybody about free agency yet. None of their free agents have received contract offers or even gotten close to a contract offer from Bill Belichick. But obviously, J.C. Jackson is the most important one out of all these players that are about to hit free agency for New England. I I guess besides the fact that J.C. seems antsy, which I think is totally understandable, what would you do with J.C. Jackson? Because I, this is a really tough one. It's one that I go back back and forth on, too, because is he Darrell Revis, Ty Law, you know, in that category of elite, elite Hall of Fame talent at cornerback? No, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't pay the guy, right? I, I, I do understand that people that say he's not a true number one shutdown put him against Stephon Diggs, put him against whoever you want and have him erase him from the game. I I agree that he's not on that 
level, but he is also only 26 and he's still a very, very good corner. Yeah. I mean, I think you just covered, you know, a lot of it, I think. And I've used this analogy before with baseball, right? You have number one starters and you have aces and not every number one starter is an ace. And there's some aces that aren't number one starters. Some teams have two ace caliber pitchers, right? Right. I think JC Jackson is as good of a number one as there is without being an ace. And the reason I say that is an ace does something against Stephon Diggs. Those games are kind of what stopped me from putting him in that category. That being said, he is still 26. He theoretically still has another year or two of true development, just based on the way players have trended recent in recent history. Um, so I don't think you can rule out him potentially getting to that ace. The other thing is if they had another corner, right? Like when they moved on from Gilmore, yeah. well, they had Jackson. So that worked. Corner is already a top three need for this team. And that's if Jackson comes back you know, you're potentially looking at needing to add two starting caliber players in a position that's very tough to add talent. So I, I, they can't afford to lose them in my mind. They can't now tag and trade. If you can get back a corner or a first round pick, but you know, somewhere where you can realistically get up to Andrew Booth, then maybe you do it. I, I just don't think, and I know people are saying, well, JC, he talks too much. And, you know, they bring yeah. up the digs games, the talking too much. That's how corners are. Yeah. Every corner is like that. Even Gilmore was like that. And he wasn't necessarily as boisterous about it, but the words he said, the dude was confident. And I think you have to play, you have to be that way to be an elite corner in the NFL, right? The game is basically set up for you to go out there and get beat every single time you take the field. And you have to internalize the idea that you won't get beat. You have to have that mentality in terms of the comments, uh, you know, earlier in the week, you're right. I think he is just playing his hand. He's never been through free agency like this before. Right. He got the RFA tender last year, but I, you know, Oh, well, you know, just Jackson's not the guy. So just move on from him and upgrade. That's not, it's not that easy. You can't just do that. Right. It's every team in the league that wants to upgrade their corner this off season is looking at J.C. Jackson. He is the upgrade, okay? That's like a Packers – it's not – I guess not quite the same, but like a Packers fan saying, let's move on from Aaron Rodgers and get a better quarterback. He's the best one on the market. It's not going to work that way. Or uh, upgrade from Devontae Adams. It's the same thing. J.C. Jackson's the top of the cornerback market this year. So unless you want to go into a season with Jalen Mills as your number one outside corner and – Juwan Williams at best at your number right. two corner, you, you have to keep JC Jackson. So I, I think the team ultimately recognizes that. I think the team will keep him. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of these guys that gets franchised, plays under the franchise for a year and then leaves. I don't know that the team can necessarily afford that. I think if they franchise him, they're doing it with the goal of a long-term deal to get that cap number down, but they have to have him. You can't waste years of Mac Jones' rookie contract. You have to keep him, and if the cost of that is a $17 million cap hit, then the cost of that is a $17 million cap hit. Yeah, I I feel that your ace versus number one pitcher analogy is perfect, right? Because he's not an ace. He's not Pedro Martinez in his prime, right? That That's not who right. he is. Like right. I said, he's not Darrell Revis. He's not Stefan Gilmore. He's not Ty Law in their primes of their careers. But what I do find interesting 
is Stefan Gilmore, when the Patriots signed him to that contract, was not Stefan Gilmore yet, right? He had had some struggles and some really bad seasons for Buffalo. They drafted him high. He didn't live up to the expectations of the high draft pick, and they didn't retain him in Buffalo. And the Patriots signed him as a 26-year-old corner with great traits, great athleticism, top 10 talent, and they gave him the contract, and he ends up becoming the best cornerback in football. So you look at JC, he's at the same age as all these guys, the same age as Gilmore, but he's also at the same age as Asante Samuel, Malcolm Butler, right? Right. Uh, Akib Talib, right in that same 26, 27 year old range. So there's precedent for both directions for Bill Belichick, as there often is with these sort of things. I am still in the camp that you cannot allow him to walk for nothing simply because you don't have anything coming down the pipeline. As you said, if they had hit on the Juwan Williams pick and Juwan Williams was maybe the next guy to take the mantle, then I could maybe be more comfortable with walking away from Jason Jackson. At this point, I don't really see how, where do you go from there? You can, even if you look at the 21st pick in the draft in in, uh, coming up here in April, Maybe you luck into a guy like Andrew Booth Jr., who I think has number one cover talent ability, right? But you're not going to get that guy week one in September on the field to be a shutdown corner immediately or a corner on J.C. Jackson's level immediately. Even the best draft picks take some time to develop and come along and grow into the systems that they're put in and grow to the NFL game. So, I think you're looking at a real steep drop off in the secondary. Even if you use your first round pick on a corner, it's still going to be a steep one. Now we talked to uh, both of us a little bit there, touched on the tag and trade scenario. Uh, That's where we can take it first. And then I think we can also look at maybe some other options in free agency or something like that. But the tag and trade, uh, I know a lot of people have this take that the tag and trade is the best strategy. I looked at a couple today of the history, of recent history of the tag and trade and what teams got for guys, right? So Frank Clark and a first round pick from Seattle goes to Kansas City. They got a little bit of a haul for Frank Clark, but they also added one of their own picks in, right? It was Clark and a third for a first, a third, and a second in 2021 or 20, the following draft, whatever that following draft was. Frank Clark uh, went from Kansas City, uh, or excuse me, uh, D. Ford went from Kansas City to San Francisco and got a second round pick, just D. Ford for a second round pick straight up. So you're looking at potentially a first round pick being on the table, certainly at least a second round pick being on the table, and then maybe you can get, something tacked onto that. Maybe it's a second and a third. Maybe it's a first and a fifth, right? Something like that is a possibility. I think having two first round picks sounds like a lot of fun, certainly for us. If we could theorize all the different ways that they could use two first round picks, that would make for some great shows and some great mock drafts. But I I don't, again, I, I, I get concerned is can they really draft a player at that pick that's going to be as good as JC Jackson? You're hoping that you're drafting somebody that's as good as JC. Now, maybe you can look at it and say the contract value makes sense where you're only paying that guy a fraction of what you're paying JC. And even if he's 75% as good, you're getting a huge discount on the deal. But I don't know if the Patriots are really be operating with that sort of thinking 
nowadays. Maybe 10 years ago when they had prime Tom Brady, it would have been a little bit different. Yeah, the other thing is, and, and we've talked about this a little bit on the air. I, I don't know how uh, off the air, I don't know how much we've talked about it on the air. This isn't a great cornerback class, right? right? Gardner, like, they're obviously going to get a higher first than 21 if they make that trade. They might not. That's the thing. You need, like, where's the first rounder you're getting back? Not getting a top 10 pick. You're not trading JC Jackson for a top 10 pick, as nice as that would be. Right. It's probably going to be somewhere 10 to 20 or lower. Um, guard, they're not going to have a shot at, at Stingley or Gardner. Yes. Booth is a nice thought, but where's he going to go? And he's actually the consensus mock pick for the Patriots right now uh, at 21, and he's 22 on the consensus big board. So maybe him. There's a pretty stark drop off after that. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I don't know that I love any of these corners, especially not as like one number one guys. McDuffie can play Trent McDuffie. But I think when you look at Trent McDuffie, my, the reason why I have Booth ahead of McDuffie in my personal rankings is because I think McDuffie is at the best a Z slot shadow, right? I don't, right. He's He's not replacing JC Jackson. I don't think he's somebody, right. I don't think that he's somebody that's going to play the majority of his snaps on the outside. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because you need that guy too, right? If you want to, pair McDuffie with somebody like JC and then you go up against Miami and JC gets Devontae Parker and McDuffie gets Jalen Waddle that makes a whole lot of sense but I don't know if McDuffie is a true outside corner pure x receiver cover talent I think he's more of a guy that's going to take the flanker or take the z receiver in the offense yeah look I mean it's an important role for sure we saw what happened this year when the Patriots lost Jonathan Jones it's essentially the role you're describing right so I just don't, you know, I don't know that trading, again, you have to, if if you're not bringing back Jackson, you need to add somebody who you believe can actually be your number one outside corner. In like Booth, maybe. I think he can. Depending on what pick they, right, depending on what pick they get. But again, that's, I think you have to get a top 20 pick. I don't think Booth's making it to 21. So Booth is the wild card here. Outside of him, I just don't think there's a situation where you deal Jackson and you get that cor- you get that that number one corner back. I just don't think that happens. And then okay, you can still try to round things out, but the secondary is going to be an absolute mess. You're going into what what should be you know it's such a good building block here in year one. Now all of a sudden, it feels like you're taking a step backwards. Like I, if you ending something spectacular. If you move on from JC and Jonathan Jones can't play outside to answer the question in the chat. Right. If you move on from JC Jackson, right? The secondary is going to be worse than it was last year. Yeah. I feel comfortable pretty much out again, outside of something spectacular, you know, G or Alexander holds out in green Bay and you get your hands on him. Right. Right. If you move on from JC Jackson, the secondary is going to be worse than it was last year, period, full stop. So if you think, the best course of action is to tag and trade J.C. Jackson. Just know what you're saying is I am comfortable with the Patriots secondary is worse than it was last year. And there's people who make that argument. There's some people who say, well, instead of giving J.C. Jackson 17 million, you give 10 million to wide receiver 
and then you know five million to a corner, and then you have two right. million to play with. Maybe that's you're, a running you're back. Or, at, you're staring at a situation where Eli Apple and, and Jalen Mills are your starting right. out. You, you basically exactly yeah. you and you you right. you are counting on Mac Jones and that offense to average over thirty points a game. Yeah, you are basically saying we're going to take this money, we're going to put it into the offense, and we're going to win every game in shootouts. They don't have the core to do that. They just don't. So just keep in mind that's what you are asking for if you want to tag and trade Jackson. I want to take a second to shout out our sponsors at betonline.ag. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops from all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land. Bet online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. And it's not just basketball. Bet online is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. Right to the Olympic coverage is the best in the business from sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games. Bet online is your number one online wagering destination bet online the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games bet online where the game starts and to answer a question in the chat could a gilmore return happen even if it did if you at this point if you swapped jackson for gilmore secondary is worse than it was last year stefan gilmore was good in carolina he, he was wasn't okay. he wasn't yeah. defensive player of the year staff like no. I'll, I'll put it bluntly to you, Evan. Week one next year, who would you rather have as your for, – forget the money. Just you get yeah. the, one of these guys out there. Jackson Gilmore, who would you rather have as your starting corner? Probably Jackson, but I do – look, I, I think the bridge is not burned in terms of – I think Stephon Gilmore doesn't have any ill will towards the Patriots organization on the whole. I don't see them bringing him back. It does, doesn't make much sense. But there is a debate there, I do think – if you want to play devil's advocate, Alex, of Stefan Gilmore at two for 24 versus four for 72. Okay. JC Jackson, right? I, yeah. I think that one thing that you could look at with a guy like Gilmore, and I look at this free agency class, and Gilmore is really the only one that I could think of doing this. If you want to go 2017 and say, who's the Stefan Gilmore to JC Jackson's Malcolm Butler? And maybe it'd be like somebody like Carlton Davis, who's a free agent with Tampa Bay right now. But I don't think Carlton Davis is Stephon Gilmore 2017, right? I, I He was a later draft pick. He's got some limitations and some flaws to his game as well. I, I don't think that been he's hurt a lot too. Yeah, I don't think that he's in that category. I think the one thing that you look at with Gilmore is if you could potentially bring somebody like Gilmore back, it does buy you time to develop that next guy, right? It does buy you another year or two to do it. I don't think it's going to happen just because of all the politics that happened, obviously, recently with Gilmore. But I look at this draft and I see, okay, could they bring a, a bridge like a Gilmore in for a year or two, draft Kyler Gordon, have him develop for a year and then become the number one or draft Kair Elam from Florida, have him develop for a year or two and then become the number one. Maybe that's a solution for them, but I, I still feel like this is way overcomplicating it. And we're just getting back to the point of just pay JC Jackson and be done with it. And I can't get off that point, no matter how many different 
scenarios I come up with in my head of, oh, they could draft Booth or they could do this or they could do that. I mean, at the end of the day, the simplest thing to do is just to pay J.C. Jackson his money. Right. In in some sense, it's the family guy mystery box thing. Yeah. Right. Yes. You know, you can you know, you get a, you go to the, the, the sales conference. They say, they say they'll give you a free boat. Well, you can take the boat or you can take the mystery box. And Peter right. says, we'll take the mystery box. Could be anything. It could even be a boat. Right. You're you're moving on from this from J.C. Jackson to sign Carlton Davis and hope he develops or draft right. one of these corners and hope they develop. Develop into who? Yeah. J.C. Jackson. You already have right. him and he's 26. It's not like he's 30 and it's, well, do we want to reset the clock on the development some of these corners in the draft are already 22. You're not really resetting the clock much. You're resetting it financially, but not right. in terms of age. Any of these guys you're drafting, best case scenario, they turn into J.C. Jackson, who you already have. They got to figure out a way to keep them. They do. It's that simple. Yeah. I Look, I that's the way that I put and feel at this point, too. But I, I it is a tough one. Like I said at the beginning, your ace versus number one starter thing, is, I think, fits J.C. perfectly. He's not – Do a, you – He's not a perennial Cy Young Award winner, right? He's not right. He's not one of those types of guys, but he certainly is good enough to be the number one guy in your rotation. Right. He's not Max Scherzer. Right. But, you know, is he... Nate Evaldi? No, he's much... No, no, no. Nate Evaldi's not the comp. It's more like... Uh, You're the baseball guy. So you honestly, sort of Chris Sale recently. Right, um, yeah. Although that's not fair with the injuries. I, I guess this is... What was I going to say? Here comes the COVID fog. Um, yeah. Um, with JC, I don't know. Keep going. Yeah, it was like a good question too. Yeah. What were you? What were you saying? Oh, I remember. The th- the thing that's intriguing about Jackson is his age. Like I, I don't, and maybe I don't know. Maybe you feel the same way. I haven't ruled out the concept of Jackson becoming an ace. I still think he has a year or two of getting better. Yeah. So. Do you like? Do you feel the same way about that? To continue to use that analogy, yeah, I think he could still develop. I think that the one thing that you look at with JC and his development is, does he have the physical tools to reach another level? Right? When they signed Gilmore to the contract that they signed him to, they signed him to that deal because at the combine five uh, four years prior, he absolutely blew it out of the water. Right? I mean, he was an right. elite tester, an elite athlete. I don't know if JC has the reactionary athleticism, the raw long speed, uh, those types of things to go to the next level physically, mentally, uh, concentration, focus, route anticipation, those types of things I think you can always improve, right? You can always get better at. Does he have another level from a physical tools or is he maxing out his physical tools now? I think is an interesting discussion that I'm sure they're talking about in the facility. The other thing I'm sure they're talking about internally is a lot of his interceptions came against Sam Darnold's and, you know, uh, these you know quarterbacks that are not very good against these passing teams that are not very good. You know, at some point that's how Bill Belichick thinks, right? You got to consider, is he actually better than, or worse than the production? Are the interception numbers there? Because for the first three years, he was paying next to Stephon Gilmore and, all these other types of things that that's where you get into the muddy waters of paying him that lucrative long-term extension. I I still think I would do it, especially in today's NFL, but it's, there's definitely a conversation to be had there. And based off past president, uh, Asante Samuel, Malcolm Butler, uh, it probably leans towards in Bill Belichick's world, letting JC Jackson go. 
and, and that's that's a bummer, but that's that's kind of where they have been in the past with a player like that. Well, I I, I wouldn't know because Samuel they tagged and he so, played right. under tag for a year and then he won. They could do like what they did with Samuel and have him right. play on the tag and, for a year. Yes. Yeah, Butler's the only comp. I would say I like I, people have used Revis as a comp. He's not because he was older. Right. right. Those are those are the two comps. They're Butler and Samuel and. I would argue Jay like Samuel is a better player than Butler. I think we'd both agree with that. It's a little tough because it's different errors, errors. Right. I would say Jackson is closer to the player he is to Samuel than he is to Butler. Yeah. I don't know that he's as good as Samuel was, but he's a lot closer than he is to Butler. Yeah. And I also don't think it's necessarily 100% fair to say that J.C. Jackson can't cover number ones just because Stephon Diggs is a tough matchup for him. Look. He's covered other number ones before pretty successfully. Diggs just is kind of his kryptonite right now. And I think it's right. really comes down to the pure route running and release package that Stefan Diggs has. It's really difficult to play physical press man against Diggs. And it's really difficult to play off man against Diggs because he's so good at the top of the route. Right. So he's just a tough guy to cover but for everybody. I mean, the guy was an all pro uh, two years ago. He's one of the best receivers in football. So just because he's had trouble with Stefan Diggs, I don't think that that necessarily means that he can't cover other number one receivers. He might just have a little bit right. of trouble with digs in particular. And you, I don't hate the idea of the Patriots going in in the future of looking at it and saying, okay, well, we're going to put JC Jackson on Gabriel Davis and we're going to double Stefan Diggs, Right. I, I don't think that that's a terrible strategy uh, moving forward either. If he still continues to have trouble with digs. So, Either way, he's still helpful, right? Whether he's singling on the with uh, Gabriel Davis and they have to roll the coverage over to Stephon Diggs, or he evolves and adapts and gets better and is able to take Diggs by himself, he's still a valuable player to have regardless uh, of what happens there. Okay, yeah. uh, let's answer some of these questions. If you got questions, drop them in the chat. Let's leave Miles Bryant out of this for a little while, guys. Okay. I mean, come on. Don't be so mean to the guy. If you have questions, drop them in the chat now. We'll answer them as many as we possibly can here in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, I saw one earlier that I thought was a good one about um, day two wide receivers. This person asked specifically about Jalen Tolbert. I, I look at this class of wide receivers and I, the more I look at it, the more I really, really like some of these options on day two. Somebody had the question earlier as well. I'm going to find this one. This is the one that we need to get to that Alex has been just clamoring to debate with me or talk to me about uh, since the draft process began. And that was uh, Wandale Robinson against Sky Moore. Yes. And this is a big question. Here it is. Uh, where do you fall in this debate? Because this is a fun one. I, I think both have a really good case, but you go ahead and give yours. Yeah, let me start off by saying I think if the Patriots end up with either guy, it's a good pick. And you're probably looking at Wandale Robinson in the second round, Sky Moore in the third round, so it becomes a value thing. We did this last year with the tiers of the players in, in um, uh, COVID brain again, Jalen North Texas, drafted by the Bucks. Jalen Darden. Jalen Darden and Kadarius yeah. Tony, and we stacked them all last year. Um, this year kind of goes, uh, I almost said Jerry Judy, man, this is um, John Mechie, Wandale Robinson, Sky Moore, right? And then you can get into some of the other guys a little further down. Right. Again, I like both players. I think that Sky Moore is probably a little bit more polished, which they'll like. But, and then by the way, Bo Melton would be the day three guy in this, right. in this tier. Um, yeah. 
I like Sky Moore. I think he's polished. I think he's a good route runner. I think he's the guy that they are going to like better. He's more traditionally their pick. Yeah. That being said, I think what this team really needs in whatever facet on the offensive side of the ball, whether it's a receiver or running back, a tight end, is somebody who can create with the ball in their hands, kind of like what we thought Johnu Smith would be last year. Wandale Robinson, to me, is that guy. Wandale Robinson is, whether it's a, a slant, a screen, an end around, whether it's lining up as a running back, and he is a converted running back, so he has experience doing that. You know, he can kind of be that sort of gadget player. You can line up all over the formation, that Debo Samuel type. I think Wandale Robinson really fits the need of that explosive ball carrier. And they'd have to cut coach him up a little bit on the finer points of being a receiver. Again, he did just switch to receiver two years ago. So he's new to this. And I know we, we have our, you know, we're wary about certain areas of the coaching staff, but I think him working with Troy Brown, that would be a great fit. Basically the parts of the game, I think Robinson is missing the parts of his game. I think he needs to not missing, but needs to really round out are what Troy Brown was so great at as a player. So I see that as a mix. So I think either one is a great addition. I don't know that either one on their own is the difference maker. You want to pair this guy with an X, whether it's, you know, a first round pick, a guy, you know, one of the the true X's, like, I guess not Jahan Dotson in their system, but, um, or probably more likely a free agent or or a veteran acquisition, like a Mike Williams or maybe a Calvin Ridley. Um, But I, I think either one of these guys can give the offense a dynamic they really need. Yeah. So, this is a conversation of an explosive, more explosive ball carrier in Wandell Robinson versus the route runner in Sky Moore, right? right. Sky Moore. They both a, win in, they both win in similar fashion, but they do it in different ways. Similar areas of the field, right? Like if you right. had a yeah. heat map yeah. of where their targets were and where their touches were, it would be very, there would be a lot of overlap, but they do it in different ways. Exactly. Sky Moore has some of the best feet that I've seen of any wide receiver prospect in this draft. He can get off press coverage, really sudden quick movements at the line of scrimmage to get off press, separates well at the top of the route. And although he is not game breaking like Wandell is in the, with the ball in his hands, I like how he slithers with the ball, right? I think he has that kind of Julian Edelman, like duck and weave in and out of contact. Maybe not somebody that's going to run away from the whole defense when he gets in the open field, but certainly sets up blocks well down the field, kind of navigates and eludes tacklers and wiggles in and out of contact. I like those elements of his game, but it's his route running that really stands out. The concern that I have with Wandell is, is the same as I have, like, in the first round version of this is Traylon Burks, right? What is his route tree with the Patriots? And what is his usage in New England? And can they get more out of him than just, handing him the ball on a jet sweep or throwing a screen to him or uh, maybe having him run slants over the middle or something like that. Can he expand and develop his route tree to have a complete usage with the Patriots offense? That is a concern that I would have with any prospect, not just Wandell that's in this mold, because I look at the Patriots and I say, you at least the Josh McDaniels version of their offense. We'll see what it looks like moving forward. You have to, fit into a role to be productive here. You can't just take a player and build a new thing out of it because they haven't had real success with that. Otherwise, Johnny Smith would have had a huge year last year and Nikhil Harry might have actually panned out here in New England. If there's not a built-in role within their system that fits the player, 
And I think it makes it difficult to project that player into their offense. Sky Moore is one of those guys that I can sit here and say, you give him Julian Edelman's route tree and he's going to produce in the, on that route tree. What's Wondell Robinson's role that already exists in the Patriots offense, right? So, that, that's a concern that I would have with it. Can I go a little outside of the box to try to answer that question? Yes. Peak James White. James okay. White, when they used to line him up, out, you know, remember, because they, they used to line him up outside like 35, 40% of the time, right? Or in the slide, they lined him up as a receiver 35, 40% of the time. And again, he is a converted running back. What if he's your answer to, to potentially losing James White? And then he, like, like, what if he fills, he doesn't fill any one player's role, but he half fills the loss of James White and half fills the loss of Julian Edelman. Again, they, that's, kind, that's still kind of new. So it doesn't totally disprove your concern, which I think is a valid right. one. But they're not just going to keep at a certain point. They just stop hitting repeat. That's the best. Uh, that's the best argument you've made so far about how they could use Wandell Robinson effectively. This is not a Wandell Robinson problem. This is a Patriot right. problem, right. right? And when I look at a guy like Sky Moore, I know. Okay, Sky Moore is going to play the Z. He's going to play Julian Edelman's role. He's going to run Julian Edelman's routes, and he's going to be productive running them. Right. Easy projection, easy transition, all those types of things. With guys like Burks, with guys like Wandale, they need that, right? They need the play speed. They need the big play explosiveness that those guys bring to the table that Sky Moore might not necessarily bring. But unfortunately, they don't know how to use it properly and they don't know how to harness it. And they also don't really have a great track record of taking guys with limited route trees and developing them into more expanded football players. So, it's just a, it stinks. It stinks that we can't just sit here and pound the table for a guy like Wondell Robinson, because he feels like a perfect fit and a perfect amount of juice for what they need at that spot. Same with Traylon Burks. Traylon Burks should be a guy that we're talking about as a first round pick at number 21 for the Patriots. But all of us are terrified of them drafting a guy like Traylon Burks and having him turn into Nikhil Harry 2.0. So it's, it is what it is. Speaking about these coaching, uh, along these coaching lines, I should say. Well, I um, so you're, you're I'm just curious, like the, the thing with him and James White, that's not to- like you, you would buy that. You don't think that's totally out of the box? No, I, I'm I'm not saying it's totally out of the box. I, I buy it more than them trying to figure out some sort of role of him as a Z or something like that and, and crafting a new role for him there. It's the best argument you've made so far of how they could okay. use Wondell Robinson effectively. Yes. All right. There's also a really good question back there. And uh, it's Devin, uh, Dexter Johnson. It, it's 1628. I don't know if you can find that one. Yeah, I saw that one. I want to get to this coaching one real quick, just because okay. we were just talking about coaching. So Albert Breer, uh, your guy, Scott Zolak, some of the, a bunch of people have already, uh, Mike Reese have put out their projected lineup for the Patriots coaching staff. One of the biggest ones out there right now is that Joe judge is going to coach quarterbacks, which I totally understand for so many reasons is DEFCON five. I did this the other show too, and I did it backwards. DEFCON five uh, for the Patriots, right? That Joe judge is going to be the quarterbacks coach. I don't think Joe judge is going to be alone at coaching the quarterback. The guy that I really think that's going to ultimately have a lot of the responsibility on the direction of Mac Jones is going to be bill himself. But I understand that bill can't be everywhere all the time. Right. So if he's needed someplace else, or if he is focusing on something else one day, they're going to have to leave the responsibility up to somebody when bill's coaching defense or bill's coaching the secondary or bill's over there, over here or whatever. 
But I, I do feel like Belichick is going to have a massive, massive hand, as he always had, uh, with quarterbacks. This is nothing new. He's, he's coached up Tom Brady. We go watch Man in the Arena and listen to how much Tom Brady talks about how much Bill Belichick meant to his development, right? And teaching him through the eyes of a defensive coordinator how a defense is going to be structured to go up against you is obviously a very massive thing. Uh, where do you stand on the offensive coaching staff, on Joe Judge, all these things that obviously do not sound too enticing right now? And by the way, DEFCON 5 is the the normal readiness. So DEFCON 1. Then, yeah, DEFCON 1 would be, yeah, yeah. which is never uh, – ironic we're bringing that up. DEFCON 1's never been reached so far, knock on wood. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Analogy right now. I, I, right, I said yeah. it – I've said it a couple times since the whole kind of coaching thing happened. I care more about them getting a dedicated quarterback's coach than getting an offensive coordinator, and it sounds like Joe Judge, even if he is the quarterback's coach, regardless of whether we think he's a competent quarterback's coach or not, is going to have other responsibilities. He's not just going to be right. a quarterback's coach. Bill Belichick, obviously, other responsibilities. Uh, so maybe between the two of them, somebody's always around, I guess. I still don't love that setup. Even if it's somebody, I mean, Bo Hardigree was a relative unknown. They brought him in kind of late in the process, but he was there. He, he was around. So even if it's bringing in that kind of guy, like right before OTAs, which we, they've done in the past, they've brought in staff as late as July. Right. Um, just finding some sort of designated quarterbacks coach, I still think that's a need. Whether the, whether it's Judge, whether it's Bill, who's taking the reins on max development, those guys have other things going on. That's the yeah. reality of it. You need somebody on the staff who's not named Adam Gaze, who's worked with quarterbacks before, who will be around 100% of the time. And I, I get, Like Brian Hoyer, I guess, is the backup, but it's it's different. Yeah. It's different. It'd be nice to have a co a, a true dedicated yeah. coach as well. So it could be I'm somebody like Tyler Hughes, who we haven't really talked about a whole lot, but he's been an offensive assistant on the staff for a couple of years now. Yeah. Honestly, the guy and I didn't realize this. I, I read a little bit more about Nick Cayley over the last couple of days. Nick Cayley's been coaching at the college and pro level for 18 years now. He's 39 years old. He's been coaching with the Patriots for eight seasons. So in some ways, I I always defer to this. I, just give it like give more responsibility to Kaylee, right? Like I, I really feel like he's a guy that has not been talked about enough. Tom Pelissero put him on a list of uh, future head coaches. Pelissero puts this right. out every single year. Gerard Mayo is on it almost every single year. Nick Kaylee made it for the first time this year. I would much rather put Joe Judge with the tight ends. You go coach Hunter Henry, who already knows what the heck he's doing anyways, right? And have right. somebody like Nick Kaylee get a different role as the quarterback's coach. But is Kaylee, is Kaylee also the play caller? Again, it's, it's, is, can somebody Well, I would have... rather the play caller also be the quarterback's coach, right? That's true. I, think, That's that, I think that is something that needs to be in lockstep. I mean, obviously for years, Josh McDaniels was sort of the quarterback's coach and the OC. Right, but Brian, even last right? year... They also had Bo Hardigree. So I guess that's right. kind of what I'm saying is. Right. So maybe it becomes like a Tyler Hughes. Maybe it's somebody outside the organization we yeah. don't know of yet. Right. That's more who I'm looking for. Like, I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong about Kaylee with be, yeah. being the quarterback's guy. Like, I would actually agree with that. But even then, if Kaylee's the play caller, you know, if, if Kaylee's with the quarterbacks and Judge is calling plays, then I guess I'm good. In, in terms of the quarterback coach, I don't know that, that that's how I want to structure it with the play caller, but if yeah. it's, if, if Kaylee's going to be the play caller, even if he is the quarterback's coach, give me that Bo Hardigree, give me somebody else who's just around in the room, 
you know, because something we we heard could just be Hoyer. Like they could just think that's Hoyer. I, I, I guess it's Hoyer. Like I something we heard a lot about Mac last year in camp, and we heard this from Cam from yeah. Cam Newton was that he showed up right away asking questions. He was always asking questions. I don't want there to be a spot where he has a question and there's nobody around to answer it. Yeah. That's basically where I'm at with Mac. Yeah. And I just want somebody around to answer the question. That's pretty much that. That's my Maybe feeling. Brian Hoyer. So. Fair enough. Though. And I Fair guess if it's Brian, I'd like there to be a dedicated coach. But I guess if it's Brian, they do need a backup quarterback. They do. Yeah. And right now, I guess they do have one at Stidham. But right, um, maybe, maybe not saying that Stidham would get the call if he was if Matt goes down, it would probably still be Brian Hoyer, right? Not Stidham. But in right. this world where they need the backup quarterback to run scout team, or they need the backup quarterback to do different things during practice, maybe they just allowed. Jared Stidham to do all the backup quarterback duties during practice because Brian Hoyer is, uh, you know, hip to hip with Matt Jones all the time, right? Right. And, and maybe yeah. that's sort of the way to go here. Uh, you wanted to get to this question from Dexter. I like it too. It's a fun uh, question. Yeah. These are the things that, honestly, the Patriots in their draft room in their prep they answer questions just like this, right? Scenarios where. If these two guys that we both really like and we have very, very high in our ratings are both available when we're on the clock, who are we taking and why? These seem to me like the four guys that I would say, once you get past this wave, right? If you're they're on the clock at 21 and one of these four names is not available still, then I think they're trading back. Right. I think this is sort right. of the cutoff of the talent. And I would even say, there. I would even say with Lloyd, I think there's a chance they trade back just because yeah. this linebacker class the is linebacker so good. Class really good. I, 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 yeah. You know how I feel about Lloyd. So I, I'm with right. you on that one. I yeah. would almost, I would almost replace Lloyd in this hypothetical with Trevor Penning. If we're going to, if you want to include a fourth guy. Yeah. I have a tough time with Trevor Penning at 21. I, I, I don't know I, what I, it is, but I have a tough time look, with that. So before we answer this question, let's re- let's answer a different question. Sitting right. there at 21, Davis, Olave, Booth, gone. Lloyd, Penning. Ugh. I would probably take Penning strictly because I think Devin Lloyd's a better prospect, right? I think okay. I, I will have a higher grade on Devin Lloyd than I do on Trevor Penning. Yeah. But the drop-off from Trevor Penning to Raymond or whoever you're sure. – tackle is i think is more substantial than your drop off from devin lloyd to christian harris right or devin lloyd to quay walker or chad mama or whoever your next linebacker is so for that reason i i would take penning but i I do think that lloyd is overall the better prospect and i'm going to be lower on lloyd than some people which i get but i I think that that's where i would go at with that but in this situation to answer the question out of this group, I think Jordan Davis is the best player at his position oh, yeah. in the field, right? Yeah. He's also the most limited in terms of his usage. He's going to be a nose tackle. He has to be a nose tackle. He might be able to play like a over guard uh, or shaded over the guard, but he's going to be a nose tackle. He's going to be in the middle of the line. You're probably going to take him off the field on third down. He's Vince Wilfork, right? That, that's the type of player. I that still think you're underselling him as a pass rusher, but okay. Maybe I am. I think that there was a lack of exposure in that sense at Georgia, right? He did they yeah. use him because they brought on their Devontae Wyatt's and their Trey, uh, Trayvon Walkers, and they brought on the the next wave of their pass rush talent, right? They basically had line changes when they felt like they right. got into passing situations. 
So maybe on a team that wants to stick with the same core group and isn't rotating guys as much out like Georgia did, there's a difference here. It's the same thing I should mention, the same thing happened to Christian Barmore at Alabama, right? Alabama went 10 deep on the defensive line, so he didn't always play, right? It wasn't right. because he wasn't awesome. He just didn't always play. So maybe Jordan Davis has some untapped potential there as a pass rusher. I will say, if you're going to single block Jordan Davis in the pass rush, good luck anchoring against his bull rush, right? Like that's the right. difference is that a guy like Jordan Davis might not give you the on-ball production of a Christian Barmore, for example, in terms of pressures and sacks and things like that, but he's going to occupy guys and give single blocks to everybody else. So if they try to single him with the center or with the guard over the nose, that guard is going to get walked back into the quarterback by Jordan Davis. So you have to have that as a category in his pass rush ability. It's his bull rush, his ability to dent or collapse the pocket. But again, let's get back to the question. Yeah. I still lean towards Davis. I like the idea if they bring JC Jackson back, I actually like the idea of drafting Booth even more because I think pairing JC Jackson with Andrew Booth is the Patriots no fly zone in 2022, right? Like I think that has real potential, maybe not 2022, but if you're signing JC to a four-year contract and you're drafting Booth now in 2023, 2024, 2020. Five, you're gonna have a really dominant secondary, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I love Olave. So this is a really tough one. I don't know where I go with it. If you put it, you force me to answer the question without free agency, without knowing where they go, I take Chris Olave. So I to me, it depends on free agency, right? If right. Jackson leaves, it's booth because yeah. corner is such a monumental need. If, if, if Jackson leaves 21, you're taking the best corner on the board, whether it's Booth or whoever it is. Uh, if Jackson stays, like I think he will, I'm taking Alave. I think Davis is the best player like you do. I've said, I think Jordan Davis should be a top 10 pick in this draft. Right. Um, that being said, we've talked about on this show, going back to last year, why do the Patriots struggle to draft receivers? And the reason being simply, that call or a big part of it being college receivers. The college game has drifted so far from the NFL game and the Patriots offensive system, even by NFL standards is a little archaic that you're essentially asking receivers coming directly from the college level to learn a new sport. Yeah. Chris Olave's game and the way he's developed at Ohio state actually pairs well with the Patriots offensive system. I don't know that there's been a wide receiver that's yeah. a better fit for the Patriots specifically yeah. in the last few years, not just this year, but I'm talking about going the only back one that years. is even close is Justin Jefferson, who was a slam dunk pick in a similar way for different right. reasons. I would say that they went one and ran routes a little bit differently. Olave is definitely more of a vertical route runner, right? He's somebody that's going to play more vertical game than Justin Jefferson who can make some of those, quicker routes underneath the defense. Not that Olave can't do that, but that's his yeah. game at Ohio State was getting up the field, right? But he again, was a vertical route runner there. He's going to understand the Patriots offense more, yeah. way better than your average college wide receiver. Guys like that don't come along often. So yeah, when you're watching I, a guy like Chris Olave, I think what separates him from me from everybody else in this class as a, as a route runner and as a technician is how few wasted steps or wasted movement he has in and out of his route breaks, right? If you go watch an Ohio State game, go watch Chris Olave 
and then watch Garrett Wilson on the other side. And look at how much quicker Chris Olave gets in and out of a break than Garrett Wilson does, right? Garrett Wilson, right. it takes him three or four, sometimes five steps to gather, get in and out of the break and get open. He's got great quickness at the top of the route, creating separation, but he takes a lot of steps. He's very leggy uh, to get to that point. With Chris Olave, it's so damn smooth. Like there's no, there's no wasted movement. There's no extra steps in his breaks. It's just in and out. And those types right. of receivers always have done such good things with the Patriots. And that it, it's, he's just really a perfect blend of, okay, he does have that acceleration and that burst off the line of scrimmage to get up the field and create some big plays with his route running down the field. But he also has that ability to run. If you're calling him to run an out, he's going to run the out at the yardage marker that you want him to run at every right. single time. He's not going to drift. He's not going to take 10 minutes to get out of the break. You're going to tell him to run. If you tell him to run an 11 yard out, he's running the route, the out at 11 yards, right? You tell him to run a five step slant, it's a five step slant, no problem. That those are the types of things that I think separate him from the rest of these guys. The only guy I have ahead of Alave on my wide receivers rankings is Jamison Williams, just because I don't think you can teach that kind of speed. When you have that yeah. level of speed, it's just it's just a difference. It, there's just a different pace that he moves at versus the rest of the class. But if I was grading it strictly on who's the technically the best wide receiver in the draft. It's Chris Olave to me guys like Jamison, just different type of speed. And I will always have those guys higher. All right, let's stick with wide receivers here for a second. This can I, one can was, I add one addendum onto that? Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, I saw some people in the chat bring up Nicobe Dean and, and Nicobe Dean is a guy people have had that conversation with, right? They put right. him in the spot of Devin Lloyd there. The thing about Nicobe Dean is he's basically like, so he's listed right now at six foot two twenty five. There's speculation he's going to measure in at the combine at five ten. He's, he's smaller not, than Kyle Duggar. He's right. He's not a linebacker. Bill is not looking at Nicobe yeah. Dean thinking this is a linebacker I need. He's looking at Nicobe Dean thinking this is a safety I already have. Yeah. So I, I I get it. Everybody is is all in on hey. The Patriots uh, need fast linebackers, and Nicobe right. Dean is fast, and he played linebacker at Georgia. That's not – he's not the guy. He's not going to solve the problems the Patriots have. He's going to end up just sitting behind Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips if they draft him. Yeah, so Adrian Phillips – I was just looking this up. The Patriots list Adrian Phillips at 5'11", 210. So he's essentially the same size as Adrian Phillips, maybe a little bit bigger a little bit thicker than Adrian Phillips is he's smaller than Kyle Duggar is. So as right. great as his open field athleticism is his click and close, like when he recognizes what he's seeing and his ability to close on the football from there is absolutely tremendous. I mean, it's ridiculous. The other thing that Nicobe Dean's really good at is he's got a great like spatial awareness of like the trash, right? All the right. moving parts and things around him. He's got this like matrix flexibility to just be able to bob and weave and duck under contact. That's really unique. I, I don't know if I can think of another prospect that is able to just slither in and out of blocks like Nicobe Dean can. And he kind of has this sixth sense of where things are coming from and where blockers are coming from. I haven't really seen anybody be able to do that as well as he can. Maybe like a guy like Patrick Queen a few years ago. But it's somebody, it's something really, really rare. So I love Nicobe Dean too, but I'm with you. I, I think that he's essentially a 
He's a he's a money backer for the Patriots, right? He's Adrian Phillips. He's Kyle Duggar. Maybe he's a nickel uh, for them if they see him that way instead. I want to answer this question about Jacoby Myers because uh, who has an extra E in his name, by the way. Uh, Jacoby, not ta- we're not talking about this a whole lot because there's other things to be talking about that we're not really talking about. Uh, Jacoby Myers is restricted free agent year here. I think it's a really interesting conversation to have about Jacoby Myers is a long-term future with the Patriots because in 2022, I could see Kendrick Bourne being a better receiver in this offense than Jacoby Myers, right? I, I think that there's yeah. a, a path where Bourne is your number one Z receiver and overtakes Jacoby Myers in the depth chart. I could also see a path where they draft a Sky Moore or they draft a Wandale Robinson or they draft one of these guys that then becomes better than Jacoby Myers in 2023. Right. So having Jacoby Myers on the roster on a second round tender in 2022 makes a whole lot of sense. But I think there's a very real possibility that they have him here as a bridge to whoever they set up to be the next guy to take over that mantle, whether it's Kendrick Bourne in a more short term bridge or they have a a guy that they're drafting on day two, like a Sky Moore or somebody like that, that they're then going to develop in 2022 and then put into that role in 2023 and they just want to get there with Jacoby Myers in between. I have a tough time envisioning a long-term extension for Jacoby Myers and his future with the Patriots. Yeah. I I would add on, on top of that, when we had Miguel on, what do you say? They were probably going to tender him at the second round level. Right. It's a cheap contract. Yeah. Well, let's say somebody tries to match that. What would you rather would you rather have Jacoby Myers or a second round pick in this draft? Let, let's put it this way, right? You so let's say somebody tries to match Myers. You can either pay essentially pay Jacoby Myers a year early, or you can get started with Wandale Robinson, right? He's gonna be a second round pick. He's probably gonna go about where that pick would come in. Right. I I wonder if they and teams generally haven't been super into signing. RFAs in recent years, but I mean, Jacoby's a thousand yard guy. You, you don't Close just find those. I, yeah, he's like nine, whatever last right. year. Um, I, uh, I, I would be interested to see what would happen if somebody tried to offer Jacoby a, an RFA contract. I wonder if the Patriots wouldn't match it. I really do. Yeah. I, 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 I think I've already given my Jacoby Myers take the biggest thing that, I have concerns with with Jacoby Myers is that he doesn't do anything after the catch, right? He's a guy that can get open. I wish he got open or got into his route a little bit faster sometimes. I think that's something that isn't necessarily due to a lack of explosiveness, but more so just a timing thing that maybe they can continue to work on with him. But what I don't think that he can improve on significantly more than what he already has is his ability to pick up yards after the catch. And that's an element of their offense that they need. They need that slot receiver, especially a guy that's going to be as high volume as what they do with uh, Jacoby Myers. They need him to be able to pick up. Yeah, if Jacoby Myers is better in Yak, he we had been way over a thousand yards last year, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's the issue that we have here is that there's no real explosiveness to his ball carrying skills. Like, there's no real next gear uh, once he gets into the open field. And I think that they need that player in that role to have that. I, I I don't know if they can be as good of an offense as they want to be if their Z or their slot receiver is not 
somebody like Edelman or Brown or Welker after the catch as just an explosive guy in the open field. Uh, it's a tough role to be able to produce that because it, it's going to produce such a low yards per catch average anyways, because you're running crossers, slants, in breakers, option routes, things like that. You're not going to put up 17 yards per catch running the juke series with the Patriots. So you got to add even every, every three, four, five extra yards that you do per, per catch is important. Even if it's not taking a a three step slant and turning it into an 80 yard touchdown, taking a three step slant and turning it into a 16 yard gain instead of it being an 11 yard gain is really something that this Patriots offense needs. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, that's what it comes down to. And look, I think there's still a role for Jacoby on the team. Uh, But if, you can get a better player if moving on from him means you can get a better player. I mean, that's roster building. That's right. what you do. That's that's the 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 whole essence of it. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, this person said his name three times, so I do want to talk about Jamison okay. Williams for a second. We've talked about this before. I can't decide right now. If you look at a lot of consensus boards, I, I don't think the consensus board that we use have has them at twenty one. But some of the other ones that I've seen floated out there on Twitter have Jamison Williams right there, right twenty twenty one, somewhere in that range. And the, the the board we use, uh, NFL mock draft, NFL mock draft database dot com. They have them seventeen on the big board, twenty six on the consensus mock draft. So that's in the neighborhood. Because there's no question about it that Jamison Williams, in my mind, is every good as uh, as a prospect as Jalen Waddle was. And Jalen Waddle was a top ten t- top ten pick in Miami because he was healthy, right? So you're getting that level of speed and that level of game breaking ability, but you're getting it probably 15 picks after you probably would normally get it in the draft, right? But at the same time, he's he's injured. And I, I don't have as much of a concern about playing the long game with Jamison Williams and hoping that he comes back and, and all that sort of thing quickly. My mo- bigger concern is re-injury. And is tearing ACLs going to become a thing for him? Because the worst thing that you could possibly have is that Jamison Williams finally works his way back. He gets on the field for the Patriots and on his third target, he tears his left ACL, right? You know, cause he's overcompensating or something like that. That would be with all the bad luck the Patriots have had picking wide receivers early in the draft. That's, that's how this movie goes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how this movie goes. So I, I, I almost want to stay away from Jamison Williams just to avoid that catastrophe altogether. But again, my bigger concern with him is re-injury, not necessarily him healing from this ACL that he has right now. Yeah. And by the way, he's listed at 6'2", 185. He's not like a big guy. No. He's, he's big. He's tall, but he's not. He's going to he, take hits. Yeah. He's, he's going to he, yeah. right, take a beating. My thing with Jamison Williams, I and I, 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 I've been waiting for something to kind of talk me out of this take, and I haven't gotten there yet. I with the Patriots specifically, and look, he's my wide. If he's healthy right now, he's my wide receiver one in this class. Like he's and he's a top ten pick, and we're not even bringing him up. But yeah. my thing with Williams, as it relates to the Patriots, is I remember like they've had so much trouble developing receivers. And remember with Harry, he got off to that great start and then he hurt his hamstring in Detroit in the preseason game. And like three years later, really has never caught up to where he was. And I think 
you know, some of that's on him. Some of that's on the team. They try to rush him back from that injury, which was bizarre. And I just, it's, if they take a wide receiver in the first round, and I don't think they yeah. have a shot at, at, at Williams in the second round. That's why it's, I, I feel different about Mechie because I think you can get him later. Right. right. If you take a wide receiver in the first round, he has to work. He has to work. I think you're putting Mac Jones development on the line with that. I don't want a guy. I'm not, I'm not putting that much on a guy who won't be there for mini camp, for OTAs, for training camp, right? That first, that first off season preseason is so, so crucial to a wide receivers development and instead, you're going to have him not just coming into the team cold, coming into the NFL cold in October yeah. or November. And then you look at the way this coaching staff is set up. I just don't I, – I think it's a tremendous risk to try to wedge his development into all of that. Right. Especially given that the way they've struggled to develop receivers in the past. Well, now you have to develop a guy again, but you're, you're four months behind schedule and the season's going on. That that part just worries me. Yeah, so that's why I I'm not on Williams. And again, I, Mechie's different for a couple reasons. He's later second on second round. Yeah. He's a second yeah. round pick. He's Might even be later. With Mac, right. right? He's worked with Max. That's a little different. But yeah, I'm out on Williams for now. Again, yeah. If, if I can be talked out of it, like I'm not dug in on that take, but that's how I feel right now. It's much easier to recover from an ACL now. Again, I, I think we're both in the school of thought that, that we're not worried about him recovering from the ACL. We're worried about what happens next after he recovers from the ACL, right? You know, I'm, I'm worried, worried about him recovering like as a football player, not necessarily like raw phys- physically. Right. Right. And you do feel like though his role, and maybe this is something that they won't end up doing, and this is kind of the Wandell Robinson discussion we were just having, right? But it's jet sweeps and stuff behind the line of scrimmage it's crossers and it's verticals right like how hard can that possibly be to get that guy into the offense you know it's just at some point you have wasn't that also supposed to be Nikhil Harry's role in a way but Nikhil Harry wasn't a 4-2 guy you know what I mean right like Jameson Williams's speed is just so game-breaking and so ridiculous I mean I posted a clip of him today against Mississippi State where he takes a you know 12 yard hook and just outruns the entire defense, right? I mean, it's just he's got that level of breakaway speed that is next level. Now, I'm with you, Bill. It's tough. It really is tough uh, to take a player, especially in the first round that's injured, right? If right. you're talking about a second round pick, way, way different. A first round pick with an ACL injury, that's a tough, especially, especially at that position. Look, they did this with Chad Jackson years ago. This was the right. idea behind drafting Chad Jackson was you were getting probably a top 10 talent coming off a torn ACL. Another one, a lot of people freak out at, and by the way, if they do draft Williams, he doesn't work out. If you've tweeted about Dominique Easley since 2017, you're not yeah. allowed to, and, and, and you want them to draft Jameson Williams. You're not allowed to complain if he doesn't work out. Like this is the people who are calling for this. I just think it's a little funny given a lot of what basically everything we've given this team, a lot of what we've given this team heat for in the draft process for the last few years. And again, I think the two guys, it's kind of a crossroads of Nikhil Harry and Dominique Easley. And that's not to say, I don't think Jameson Williams will be a bad player. Like I think he in the right spot, he's going to be very good, but I think that 
where the blind spots are for this team in terms of the draft and player development, yeah. Jamison Williams sits right in that blind spot. Yeah. So you're it's it, it's such a tremendous ask for them to take him and get it to work because it's everything that they, that's been elusive to them for the last five or six years or maybe longer. Yeah. I feel like that's why I've gravitated towards a guy like Olave. If they're going to go first round, because he's the type of technician that usually succeeds here. Right. Uh, I'm more on day two for that reason too. You know, I think there are other names that obviously we can throw out there and we'll probably, as I keep, you know, obviously repeating, we definitely will. The Patriots will end up taking Drake London or something like that just to torture me. Oh, you love Drake London. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Big so Drake London guy. Uh, NFL mock draft database. He's not a consensus first round pick. Good. Because here's the biggest problem with Drake London. Okay. He's six foot five, 210 pounds. The guy's a green bean, right? You got, he's not Mike Evans. Everybody wants to comp him to Mike Evans. Mike Evans was six, five, 230 pounds, right? Drake London is not that size. He's much skinnier. He's much thinner than a guy like Mike Evans. He doesn't have the play strength of a guy like Mike Evans, Oh God, foot speed, not there. Route running ability, good for a six foot five receiver. What does that mean? That means bad, right? Like saying a guy runs good routes for six foot five is just admitting that the guy's a bad route runner. I I just, that's the type of guy that they like because he's big, he can block, he can go up and get the ball and they'll draft him and he will be Nikhil Harry again, right? Like it's, it's just the same thing. Right. If he runs in the four fours, then I'll change my mind, but he's not going to. He's going to run mid four fives. I'm sure of it. And a lot of people that I respect, you know, a lot of really big draft experts, Todd McShay, uh, Dan Brugler from the athletic, you know, a lot of these guys have, have Drake London very, very high on their boards. So I'm definitely in the, you're you're breaking from the pack this year between Drake London, Devin Lloyd. You just hate the pack 12. Clearly you're just still bitter at the pack 12 for it's in the kill thing. Right. (laughs) <laughs> the thing that I always can come back to with Devin Lloyd is I think that what happens with guys like Devin Lloyd is that people type in Devin Lloyd's name on YouTube. They pull up Devin Lloyd highlight best linebacker in the nation. And they watch five minutes of Devin Lloyd wrecking shop on a highlight reel. Right. But when you actually go and you study Devin Lloyd's tape and you break down him play by play, He's very, very raw from off the ball. He doesn't understand how to take on contact. He doesn't click into blocking schemes very quickly. Uh, He's just a raw processor from off the line of scrimmage and, quite frankly, just didn't look very interested in taking on very many blocks. So, yeah, I can post a bunch of highlights of Devin Lloyd where he's unblocked and he's just allowed to just trigger to the football and he's a ridiculous missile and just taking guys out. But the second that he has to work through some contact, the second that he has to figure out where the football is, those are where the concerns start to happen with Devin Lloyd. I think he's going to be a great football player in two years. I don't think he's going to come on like Micah Parsons did and be an argument for defensive player of the year as a rookie. Two to three years from now, maybe he gets there right now. I'm just not seeing it. I think Nicobe Dean's a much better prospect, much better player right now. And I would put Devin Lloyd right in the same conversation as those day two guys, Quay Walker, Chad Mumma, Christian Harris. I think all those guys are right there uh, with Devin Lloyd. He's a better athlete, maybe a little bit more versatile than some of those players, but they're better processors than him. Chad Mumma is a much better 
technically sound linebacker than Devin Lloyd is. There's my Devin Lloyd take. Uh, we lost Alex. You're muted or something. Yeah, here I am. Let me try something here real quick. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, what, what are your thoughts on him? Similar, right? Like, obviously an explosive athlete, but I also watched, uh, who was it that I watched recently that from UCLA, their left tackle, he had a really good game against Kayvon Thibodeau. And he's not exactly like, you know, uh, Sean Ryan from UCLA. Sean Ryan, yeah. Some people think he's going to move inside the guard in the NFL. Well, okay, hang on. Ron Thibodeau on the outside. Like, what are we talking about here? So let me finish my ex- experiment, and then I have something on that. Trent McDuffie, how do you feel about him? Love Trent McDuffie. Okay, yeah. Kyler Gordon. Uh, lukewarm. Like, I think he's a good prospect, but I don't think he's a first-round guy. Okay, you just said you like Sean Ryan. Right. Yes. As like a day three pick. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Like late day two, or early day three pick. Yes. Those are all the projected Pac 12 top 100 players. You basically hate all of them except McDuffie. I like um, McDuffie. Yeah. So you're all, so you, you're pretty much across the board out on the Pac 12. Um, although Here's you did have problem that I have with you the did Pac-12. have CJ Verdell in your mock draft, though. So I did in the seventh round. This is the problem that I have with the Pac 12. Everybody looks fast in the Pac 12. If you can run, the games are late at night. If you can run and you play in the Pac-12, then you look fast. Okay, it's not the same speed as what they play at at the SEC level. It's just not right. Like the fact right. that Drake London can maybe pick up some yards after the catch does not translate the same way that Traylon Burks does in the SEC. When Traylon Burks pulls away from the Alabama defense and scores a a sixty-yard touchdown, that's game speed. Right. That you, right. you can sit there and say that that dude can run when you see it from Drake London. I'm not as sold anymore. I've, I you're right. I have been skewed by Nikhil Harry. But in a lot of ways, I like to think I've learned from Nikhil Harry. Right. That's a nice that, way to put it. That they're although they just don't move at the same pace out there. They just how don't. do you feel about uh, Ky- Kyle Phillips? Right. Yeah. Kyle Phillips. I'd rather Sky more. Certainly. Okay. Yeah. All the other, only other Pac-12 wide receiver projected to go top 200. I see, I see Phillips. Like I see his shiftiness. I, I see his ability to set up his routes, but not, not on the same category as a guy like Sky Moore to me. I think he's a tier below, but yeah, that that's ultimately you, what it is. Is you I, say the speed thing applies to him too, that you were just talking about? A little bit. Yeah. I don't okay. think he's like a burner by any means. Right. I don't think he's super fast, but yeah, I think he's definitely somebody that can get open and knows how to get open, but I don't think he's super fast. That's a problem that I have with the PAC 12 guys. Trent McDuffie. I think when you watch him on tape, he moves at such a different level than everybody else on the field in the PAC 12 that I think he's actually fast. Right. Like I think right. that he's real game fast because right. he can truly he he can catch anybody in that conference. The right. biggest issue that I have with how things, are, you know, where I scout and when I look at these guys, I wish I had some of the data that the NFL teams have now where you can look at real game speed. Like how fast is this like guy actually moving? Yeah. Right. Because the 40 times for a lot of teams, the combine next week, we're going to talk about it multiple times on the show. We're excited about it. But a lot of teams don't even pay attention to the 40 times anymore. It's more so 
a fact-finding mission. You get in front of a lot of players in one spot in succession. You have the interviews. You have things like that. Those are all beneficial. Medicals is obviously beneficial. And watching the guys go through drills in person, I think, is beneficial for a lot of uh, old-school scouts. But the 40 times, I mean, nowadays you have chips and pads and things like that, and they say, oh, this guy ran 21 miles per hour here, 20 miles per hour there. That's probably a lot more relevant at this time than a 435 is, right? It's just that's the day and age that we're in. I mean, you know why the 40 is the – like why that's the measurement? Well, it's consistent, right? Everybody's running the same 40 and the same – Well, no. Do you know why they start – like why 40 yards? Why not 50 yards? Why not 30? Do you know why 40? No, tell me. I actually, I learned this a couple years ago. It's fascinating. 40 yards at the time was the average distance of a punt. The idea was how fast can a player get downfield to cover a punt? That's where the 40 comes from. That's what it's measuring. How fast can you get downfield to cover a kick? Right. That's ultimately what the measure. So when you think about how much we put on that and what the origin of it was, it's kind of funny, right? Well, it is, especially because it's irrelevant for 90% of the positions, right? Because exactly. a lot of guys aren't running 40 yards. I think the difference is, is that like when I'm assuming Jordan Davis is going to work out next week, right. when he right works out, the 10 yard split will be massive for him. If he has a really low 10 yard split and he hits that number, then that's going to help his stock. Nobody is going to look at Jordan Davis's 40 and care what he ran 40 yards. You're in. telling me Jordan Davis isn't going to be a gunner. I was, I, if he comes to yeah. New England, I wouldn't rule it out. He's athletic. Right. 10 yard um, splits shows the explosiveness, shows that ability to get yeah. off the ball and all that kind of stuff. So that's helpful. Guys like Aaron Donald, you know, had a ridiculous 10 yard split, right? right. You know, that those are the types of things that you look at for there. But yeah, I, yeah, I have that's... a tough time with the combine now because I love it. I enjoy the heck out of it every single year. It's one of my favorite events on the calendar. But nowadays, I don't know how much teams are really finding much relevance with the workout numbers, right? Like there were once upon a time, the Patriots, anybody that had a low three cone, the Patriots were drafting, right? That was the old joke. Nowadays, I don't know how much they actually look at the three cone as much as they used to. Yeah. No, again, that I I always find it interesting specifically a lot of those drills, but specifically with the 40, that that's where it comes from. But you're right about the PAC 12 speed. We've come a long way from Chip Kelly's Oregon ducks and and Michael James and and, uh, those teams. Really quick rant because I know we're over, but you said yeah. about Sean Ryan, right? Everybody wants to move him into guard. Yes. As a member of like Hardo Film Draft Twitter. Yes. Why do you people do this? You t- every single every single year, you look at the tackle prospects. Yeah. If the guy is anything short of Joe Thomas, the the summary in the scouting report is yeah. hey, he's probably a guard. Oh, right. this guy's not literally an immediate All Pro tackle. Yeah, he probably should be a guard. You're taking guys who are 6'9 and moving them into guard, which makes no sense. What is the obsession with, eh, this guy's not a perfect tackle prospect. It's it's not like it's like two or three guys every year. Like it's, right. oh, he's not absolutely perfect. The hands, the feet, the, the athleticism, all of it. There's a single flaw, F it, guard. It's so freaking annoying to me. Okay, well, I would say the, the two things, and these are – probably pretty obvious to most people. The biggest reason why a guy would move into inside the guard is length, right? If you don't have the arm length and you don't have the upper body length to be able to punch and extend on a guy at tackle, it becomes really difficult to keep your chest clean. And that's how you get caved in. If you can't keep guys off of your chest as any offensive lineman, it's obviously a bad thing, but especially out at tackle, it really allows the edge to be super soft. Like guys are just going to get right through your edge. If you can't, 
set and really extend your arms and have that length. So that's a big one. The second one I would say is range, right? Like how far out can you get when you set out of your stance to be able to cut off the corner? If you can't explode out of your stance and cut off the landmark initially that you need to, to get guys to run the arc and go behind the quarterback, then a lot of people will say, go, he needs to move inside the guard right? Because he doesn't have the right. redirect or the athleticism or the range to be able to get out to a wide nine or to be able to get out to a stand-up edge rusher. So those are the two biggest reasons why. A guy like Ryan, his issue is is tightness, right? He doesn't have the range. Right. So a lot of people see him as a guard because he's a little bit limited athletically. I I, I mean, I, I, I am with you. If he's it's, got good tackle... It's too much. Yeah. Like I again, I, grid, I get it for some guys. I would say that he should start at tackle, and if he fails at tackle, that's when you kick him inside. Fine, right? fine. Stop saying that ninety percent of the tackle, and not you specifically, yeah. but like because I go, I, I like to double check. I go through, I read the scouting reports. I'm curious what other people are saying. Right, ninety percent. It's especially bad this year. Ninety percent of tackles is probably a guard at the next level. Like potential first round picks right is probably a go- stop so there's gonna be no tackles left there's I, gonna be a league I, of all guards I, read people their report way. And I don't want to out the person because i respect the guy but i read a scouting report on bernard raymond the other day that had him moving inside the guard yeah exactly i was like, I was like, like bernard pounds. he's got right, 33 right. inch arms like where is he moving like he's a converted tight end like he's exactly. got it's great. out of control yeah out of control that's I'm, that was I'm, that was my point yeah, there's I, a place for it. Agree. There's a place for it, but it's it's Isaiah an overused Wynn, dynamic. It's an overused dynamic. Yeah, Isaiah Wynn, you get it right because he's small for a tackle. He doesn't sure. have the length. He doesn't have the height. Yeah. That that makes more sense. But Bernard Raymond, who's six foot six with thirty three inch arms, I think he can stay a tackle. Right. You like, better I, not want to throw over like him. You're gonna put him and Darian Kennard in the middle at guard. Well, you better not want to throw the ball over the middle, or you yeah. better have a tall quarterback. You better go out and get Brock Osweiler. Alex Leather was a good player. You, you give Alex Leatherwood to Dante Scarnecchia, he'd be a Pro Bowl. Yeah, Alex Leatherwood right. is just the Raiders. Yeah. Anyway, that, on that note, uh, 15 minutes over with Alex uh, recovering from COVID-19. We were going to go normal, short. Very, very normal for us here on the Patriots Beat Podcast. Everybody uh, say, you know, a prayer for Alex. and he, he's, ob- he's obviously doing much better. We're very happy about that to have him back on the show. And next week, it's so a combine, Alex. Are you ready? Are you excited? Are you I don't know that I'm ready to run a 40, but I'm ready to watch <laughs> a bunch of people run 40s. I, maybe I'll run a COVID run 40, 40 next anyway. week. and we'll, I'll run a COVID 40 right before the show, and we'll see how deep into the show I'm still catching my breath. Well, combine next week, Tuesday. Combine preview episode. Hours straight of straight combine talk. I'm sure Alex will have a combine written preview on 985thesportsup.com. I'll obviously have one on CLNS as well. And then we'll tune in at some point during the workouts or uh, and break down some of the things that have already happened. The following week on that Tuesday after the combine, we'll recap the entire week at the combine. Not only just the workouts and who stood out and all that kind of stuff, but if there's any chatter, Uh, This is when the Patriots start to do business, right? This is when you might start to get some things on free agents and things like that. We'll discuss those things as well. So big week next week here on Patriots Beat. Big couple of weeks coming up. We got the Combine next week. Two weeks after that, it's the uh, start of free agency. So 
here comes the NFL offseason right at you, right? These next six weeks or so with the combine, then free agency, then the draft at the end of April. This is kind of the real NFL offseason, and it's going to be a, a really good time here on Patriots Beat. And, yes, uh, everybody that's recovering from COVID, Alex included, I hope you guys all feel better. And uh, prayers up to the Ukraine once again. Let's not – What a, what a close to the show. Look at you. This COVID, is great. Ukraine just – this is why they should give us an award right anyways uh we'll be back on tuesday we'll talk combine then and uh we'll see you guys all next week enjoy your weekend everybody thanks for watching our content of the six-time super bowl champion new england patriots please subscribe to my podcast patriots beat on our youtube channel patriots press pass or wherever you get your podcasts for a lot more exclusive content right here on the clns media network